We are continuing where we left off and in our study, and today is December 1st, 2019. We'll continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and this is White with the thought of the week. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do, from Ephesians 2.10. When we were created in, when were we created in Christ Jesus? Paul answers, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. From Ephesians 1.4. Even though we can talk about our birthday and how old we are now, we have another beginning in the mind and purposes of God. Before the creation of the universe, God thought about us in a very special way. The record is that he chose us to be in Christ. Being chosen speaks of us specifically, but it does not relate to any particular talent or power within us. For whatever we are called to do, God equips us. Our choosing speaks more of God's purposes. The fact that we are reading these words right now says there is so much more to us than salvation from Adam's fall. Once we are redeemed, the quest of our lives should be to pursue God's eternal purposes. The apostle said it best, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. From Philippians 3.12, section B. Unfortunately, many will only see that God's entire purpose was to save them. Therefore, that is their highest objective in life. To walk worthy of your calling, Ephesians 4.1, is personally fulfilling because we are doing the very thing we were created in Christ to do. It fits us like a glove overhand. Our steps can be filled with the importance of his purpose and our presence reflects his impact in the world here and now. Okay. I would like to offer some commentary um, just about the, the simple salvation. Obviously, we're talking about things for which God created us. And through uh, the door of salvation is where we can begin to answer our call. And we must be reborn until we are saved. Don't worry about God's master plan and his plans for your life and his plans for eternity. Don't try to impress God and don't try to patronize Jesus. They know what we need, and we need to listen to him. Everyone needs to start at step one, and that is to be born again. To believe and trust in Jesus Christ for your soul's salvation is to be born of the spirit that which is born of flesh is flesh and there is no advantage at all to having been born of the flesh for no one understands no one seeks god all have turned aside and become worthless no one does good not even one but the righteousness that comes from god is available to us through our belief in jesus christ our trust in him for our soul salvation. So why not start there? Instead of trying to make this complex and trying to understand things that are spiritual, 
Let us first receive the Spirit and let him teach us as we humble ourselves to him. And that is my commentary for this thought. And we'll turn it over to Bill for the prayer. Thank you, Dwight. So at this time, uh, we'll have our prayer. And if anyone who has any requests or doesn't know what's already been given, this is the time to do so. So another okay. another thought before we is the Galley family. I know you probably don't know who they are, but just keep in special prayer for them as well. Okay. So this time we can bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you once again, O oh Father, that you've given us the honor and the privilege to stand before you. We pray that you continually Give us more of your word. Give us more understanding, O oh Lord, that we may be able to do the things that you would have us to do and in a way that you would have us to do them, O oh Father. We want to pray for our pastor, O oh Lord. We pray for Word is Truth Church. We pray for Dave's wife and for the deaths that are have come before us, O oh Lord. We pray for the bereaved. We pray that those that have died will cast a thought on those who are living. Understand that we all must face this one day if you don't come back prior, that they may come to the full knowledge and understanding that there is a God, there is a truth, there's a way of salvation, O oh Father, that we live in this world and we die in this world, and that we need to know that there is a Savior that we can live forever with the sons. Dear Lord, we want to pray for those who may still be traveling on this that you would give them safe passage home. In Jesus' name, these and all blessings we have. Amen. 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 Thank you, Bill. And thanks, Dwight. We're going to move right into it. Uh, time is going fast. So, here we are, and the verse that we're like, we'd like to uh, focus on is John fourteen six. You have notes. Hopefully, you can refer to them as we go through. Uh, fourteen six says, "Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me.'" In your notes, our Lord gives us words for life in this classic verse. When we approach a verse that is so widely known, special care must be taken to make sure our understanding is according to the context. Classic verses often become classic, <coughs> excuse me, because the words used to f used fit a storyline <clears throat> that is commonly accepted. I do not plan to disrupt what is commonly held about a particular verse, but if we are going to look at this verse, then we will look at it in all its context. <clears throat> of course, when I start to talk, there's a problem. <laughs> so backing up, I do not plan to disrupt what is commonly held about a particular verse but if we are going to look at this verse, then we are going to look at it and all its context. 
Our goal here is not to overturn accepted norms and standards. It is to follow the word of truth wherever it leads us. After all, we have the mind of Christ. That's in 1 Corinthians 2.16. Our spiritual growth depends on the fact that we have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 2.5. To have the same mind as Christ involves an understanding of his thoughts, his motives, and the intentions of his heart. So, we'd like to focus our attention on this classic verse. To me, this verse, when I say classic, you could start quoting the verse, and most people will be able to finish it for you. It just means that it is commonly taught, commonly said, commonly spoken of, and we want to look at this verse Examine it to see what it says to us, according to the context. Right? Let's start with the context. And this first point, Jesus' answer is to a question. So remember, it starts off with Jesus' answer. Right? So answered what? He answered a question. And that's where we have to start. Because if we start answering questions that Jesus wasn't talking about, then we're not according to the context. So the question being answered is, you do know the way. You know the way to the place where I am going. This is in the context, right? You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, and how can we know the way? So Jesus answered in point B, I am the way. So let's explore this thought what it is and what it is not. Let's just look into it and there's five points I'll bring out just to try to explore it a little bit. The first is Jesus is the way. Way to what? And that is to the special place he was preparing. That's what he's talking about in verse 3. He says this in verse 3, And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me uh, that you may also be where I am. And that's what prompts the phrase in verse 4, you know the way to the place where I am going. And Judas said, I don't know what the way is. That's what prompted that. So in this, what we understand is, is that Jesus was, was trying to say, the way to the Father's house, right? There's something specific waiting for you guys. And, and just looking at the context, that's what we can derive. I mean, that's mechanical, but it is literally what is being said. Point two. The place where, when it is finished, that is, there's a place that he's talking about where when it is finished, Jesus will come back and take us or take them to be in that place. Again, that's in verse 3. It says, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So here you, you have Jesus talking very specifically about this place and what's going to happen when he does come back. 
And we talked a lot about this last week, so hopefully we're past that point of what it is and where the place is and what when he says he's going away and he's coming back, what he means. In this case, he is uh, he's literally talking to the disciples and he's saying them. He will come back and, and take them. Well, who, who's them? He's also referring to us. And point number three is... According to the Lord's own word. I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians. In this one, uh, just to look at the verse. 1 Thessalonians. Wait a minute. And chapter 4. So here it is. And according to the Lord's own... I'm going to look at 15 and 16. So it starts off with this, according to the Lord's word. And I am linking the Lord's word to what we have just read in John chapter 14. According to the Lord's own word. Well, what was his word? He says, I'm going to come back. I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me where I am. Where is that fulfilled in scripture? Right here. According to the Lord's own word. We tell you that we are still alive. Now, when it says we are who are still alive, guess who that is? Right now, that's me. It's not the Apostle Paul. It's me. I'm still alive. We who are still alive. And and that could, if I pass, then it would be referring to the people who are still alive. There's going to be people who are still alive, no matter what. But we who are still alive, will not, uh, we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. So if, who's fallen asleep at this point? That would be the Apostle Paul, Peter, all the disciples are gone. They have fallen asleep. We're not going to precede them where? What do you mean precede them? To this place. That Jesus was talking about. He says, I will come back. I will take you to be with me where I am. That there I am, you, you will also be. And in this verse, he's telling us, there's the people who died ahead of, of the people who are living are not in that place yet. They are not uh, complete, complete in the body of Christ as of yet. That's what that says to me. Verse 16. For the Lord himself, now not another, not well, I'm going to send somebody to get you. No, the Lord himself. And, and this also links to Acts 111, where it says, This same Jesus, as you have, he will come back just like you have seen him go. In the same way you've seen him go, he's going to come back. So I like this verse, the Lord himself, what will he do? Will come down from heaven. Now, he's in heaven, right? When Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for you, well, where's he going? Where? If we were to say, where is he going? He's going to the Father's house. What is in the Father's house? What is that like? Where is that? Heaven. That's what he's talking about, heaven. And so what is he going to do? He's going to come down from heaven, and then he goes on with the voice the loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and after that we who are still alive and left will be caught up uh, 
together with them. Who's them? Who's them? He's talking about the people who have died in Christ, who are sleeping in Christ, that he brought with them. We're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we ever be with the Lord. And there's more commentary on that. If you go to 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we should all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet call. That's going to happen. We, we're going to be changed. The corrupt, this, this corruptible, those who are subject to death, those who are still alive, must put on incorruption. And the corruptible, right, must put on incorruption or something like that, it says. Right, so it's, it talks about both the dead and the living. Here it's talking about the dead and living. Right? And, and John, he's only talking about it from the standpoint of the disciples, the disciples are going to be the foundation of the church. The church is built on the foundation of apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So, so that's number three. Uh, according to the Lord's own word. This is what Jesus actually said. He would do it. What are we talking about here? He's talking about coming back to get the disciples. For sure. If This is should be indelibly fixed in your mind that Jesus is coming back for us. And when he means us, he's talking about those who sleep in him, those who are in Christ, those who are in this body that we're talking about, this group. For, let's go back to our notes, for the context is simply not salvation and that's very clear by just looking at it examining it that tells us that we're not talking about salvation here when jesus says i am the way he's not talking about the way of salvation it, it, it is not in the context if he were to say that if you believe in him what will be the result you'll be justified you'll be redeemed you'll be you, you'll be saved you you know you shall not perish uh, those are all the contexts of salvation. Like we read in John three thirty six, He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe is judged already. So we'll get to that in the next phrase. But Jesus knows here, this is point four, the context is simply not salvation. Jesus knows they are already saved. And if we go back to John 13... Let's just look at John 13. Here's the, the interesting thing. And look at 10 and 11. 10 says, Jesus answers. This is where Simon Peter said, oh, watch my everything, right? Okay, you, won't, you never wash my feet. But then Jesus says, well, you gotta, I got to submit to this. And then he said, he did it. He washed everybody's feet. And uh, he says in verse 10, Jesus answered, those who have had a bath, need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. Verse 11, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that is why, that's why he said, not everyone was clean. It's interesting to think about here, is that he washed Judas's feet, but Judas wasn't saved. You could go through ritual. But it doesn't mean anything if you don't have 
your heart right with God. And this is Judas. You could, Judas could have been baptized. Judas had his feet washed. Judas hung around with the disciples. He's, he sat in on all the religious teaching. I say religious teaching, but the teaching of Christ. He sat in on all of it. And yet, Judas was not saved. He was not. I think that's clear. I don't think we have any argument here. Some people will have that, that thought. Wait a minute. Judas, he turned his back on Christ and he was saved. No, he wasn't. In every place you can look, there's another passage in John chapter 6 at the end where Jesus says, one of you is the devil. This He referred to Judas Iscariot. So in this, uh, this context, it tells me, this is back to the notes in point four, the context is simply not salvation. Jesus knows they are already saved. So he's not telling them the way to salvation. He's telling them the way to get to this very special place in the Father's house that is not prepared yet. And how, so we, we said last week, a special place requires a special people. It's interesting that he goes and prepares this special place before he prepares or creates the special people. When did that happen? Pentecost. Christ is already looking at Pentecost. One thing I would say would be, what is the most prominent thing on the mind of Christ as he is preparing his disciples for his departure? When I say his departure, he knows he's going to go through death, burial, resurrection, and he's going to ascend into heaven. This is what he means by I'm going away. He knows that. So look at what is most important on his mind. See what to him was the priority. It was what he's talking about right here. Assuring the disciples of their destiny, which is to be in Christ. It was a new destiny. And I can understand why the disciples didn't believe it. Because it wasn't in their theology. It wasn't in the Old Testament. These things are not revealed to, to the sons of men. As they have now been revealed uh, through God's holy apostles and prophets. Jesus is speaking as a prophet here. He's telling them things that they cannot wrap their arms around. And they ought to listen to Jesus just like he says in the beginning. You believe in God, believe also in me. And, and when he says believe in me, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking about what he's getting ready to tell them. I'm getting ready to tell you things that you never heard, you never saw. So you need to have faith in my words. And he's stressing and, and uh, giving them context of why they should believe and I've been with you this long you know who I am uh, you know me and so all of this is the unfolding of the father's plan through the ministry of Jesus Christ that's four right so we know they're believers Jesus knows they're already saved and this is the most prominent thing on his mind is to talk about his post ascension work which is sending the Spirit and bringing many sons into glory. So verse, verse, point number five in B is, it is true that Jesus is the only way of salvation. That's true, right? If we were to ask, is that a true statement? 
Is Jesus the only way of salvation? Absolutely. And if I were to, that's a true statement. Uh, John 3, 16, right? For God loved the world so much he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes on him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Verse 36, he who believes in the Son has life. He who refuses to believe in the Son will not see life, and the wrath of God remains on him. So that's John 3, 16 through 18 and 36. Good verses to commit to memory. If, if I were to say so. Point number C. Let's move forward. Jesus asserts that the object of this way is himself. Right? That's, he does not refer them to God or tell them to have faith in God. Right? Like he did in verse 1. In verse 1 he says, you believe in God? You know what? Keep believing in God. <laughs> you know, trust in God. No, he said, trust in me. That's, he's the object. He's the way himself. And I look at that verse that if Jesus were not God or equivalent to God, I don't know how you could say that. You never find any prophet in the Old Testament or anywhere that says, believe in me, I am the way. There's no way, because we're only here to point people to the way. We can't tell them we are the way. we got to point them to Jesus, because Jesus is the way, when, if we're talking about salvation. And if we're talking about this, he's the only way you can get into this uh, unique place that the Father has prepared for us, that Jesus has prepared in the Father's house. Let's put it just like the analogy says in Jesus. So this is interesting to note when we think about this. Uh, you know, we can never say that we are the source of anything to do with salvation with the exception of communicating the way. Right? And then if we think about 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, um, this is a reference to us being new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And later it goes on to talk about God gave us this ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors and so forth. But even then, we have a role. We have, a, But our role is only to, to tout this new life in Christ. That if any man is in there, God did something very special. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things. No more longer binding on that person. All things now have become new. So, <coughs> again, is it true when we talk about salvation? Yeah, Jesus is the way, right? He's the way that... and, and you can't be saved if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. But in this context, 
we're talking about something else. We're talking about Jesus giving information that is mystery information. When I say mystery, it means it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament. It wasn't known. For Jesus to say these things that he's saying here in John chapter 14, you can't find them in the Old Testament. You can find that Jesus is coming back. And the second coming, this is not the second coming. So these words have their foundation right here in Scripture. They're, they can't say, well, imagine John and the disciples have Bibles and they're flipping through trying to find what Jesus is saying. They can't find it because it's not there. Believe, you believe in God. He, that's, he gave you those Old Testament Scriptures. Believe also in me. And then he goes on to tell them about heavenly things, which they have no context for. Point D. Let's, let's keep it moving. The way to the place in the Father's house, the way to that special place, is only through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm looking at, in context, uh, verse uh, 16, 17, and 26. 16 and 17. Verily, I truly, very truly, I say to you, I tell you, no servant. Oh, wait, 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 wait that's wrong. <laughs> 14. I'm in the wrong chapter. Okay. 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another comforter. Another one like me to help you and be with you forever. Who, what are we talking about here? The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you. What do you mean lives with you? I'm here and I have the spirit and he will be in you. So there's a difference between... Uh, the Holy Spirit with you and in you. In you refers to the Pentecost, right? Holy Spirit where he came and he indwelt, he baptized, he gifted, he sealed, right? He, he, he um, all of those doctrines that we talk about, right? The five ministries of the Holy Spirit that come and, and I'm missing one. So there's the baptism, the sealing, ministry of the Spirit, the indwelling ministry of the Spirit, the gifting ministry of the Spirit, which where he gives us. Right? And then there's still, I think I'm still missing one more. Right? And it's sealing, baptism, indwelling, ah, the filling of the Spirit. Yeah. So all of those refer to the ministry of the Spirit that come or that came at Pentecost. So that's point um, that's point C as we covered it. And then I believe we looked at the place, point D, the way to the Father, Father's house, right? This is the place. When we say, well, you know the way. And the only thing you could think about is the way to where. If somebody said, you know the way, and you would say, the way where? And the way is to the place. 
that is in the Father's house, that special place that he's talking about. The way to the special place is only through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So now we know who he's talking to. We're not just talking about, uh, you know, some special place in heaven. If he would have said heaven, because you know what, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in heaven right now. They're there. But they are not in this special place that Jesus is referring to. Remember, back to what's the most important thing on Jesus' mind right now. He's getting ready to depart. Uh, or, or actually, there's going to be a sequence of events that lead to his leaving them. He's going to go away. And that sequence of events happens fast. In a matter of days, we could say. Point number two. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. So, Christ is the way and the truth is point number two. Let's dig into this. The truth. What is the truth? The truth is the reality of God, the fullness of the Father's plan. This is my definition. If I were to say truth, what is truth? Truth is the reality of God. It's what God. It's what's real to God, right? But we're here in the world, and the world does not reflect what is true or what's real to God. God is allowing the world to go on, but the reality that is in His head, His head is in God, and the mind of God is something other than what's happening in this world. So we have to come to the knowledge of the truth, and that is, um, even though we're living in this world, we have to come to the reality that God has, not what the world has. If we talk about the, uh, the word hope, our hope is not fixed on the world or the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Hope is fixed on what God's plan is, right? What he has promised us, what, what's to come, and how we are to adjust our lives here in the world with reference to that which is coming, knowing that's coming. So truth is the reality of God, the fullness of the Father's plan. If we talk about truth, how is Jesus the truth? Well, there's a lot of scriptures. And I'll try to get through them. John 16. I'm going to go to 16 here. 14. How is Jesus the truth? Oh, that's 15. Hold on. So 16, 14. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he has made known to you. Now, so, so there it is. When it says the spirit of truth, right, we got to understand that. And the spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine, belongs to me, and he will uh, make it known to you. Right? And he will reveal it to you. Make it known. Make it plain. That's what truth is, what belongs to Christ. So we could say, when it comes to truth, he is the way, the truth, right? the truth that is yet to be revealed, truth that was not made known to men in other ages, too, but it was hid in God, 
Christ is the truth when we think about that. So then all of our objective is to grow into that. So 1 Corinthians 2.16 at the end says, who, who has known the mind of the Lord that we may be, be count, uh, his counselor? But we have the mind of Christ. So the mind of Christ in that context is also the deep things of God. The mind of Christ is uh, things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, neither have they entered into the heart of man. The mind of Christ is uh, the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began. So when Christ says he's the truth, then that is what we're talking about. Like when the Spirit says, I'm not, I'm here to lead, he will come and he will lead and guide you into all truth, then that truth did not exist in the Old Testament. It's new truth. It's never before seen truth. It was truth that was hid in God. And when Christ came, and the revelation of the mystery is that truth that Christ embodies. So we, it is said to be the mind of Christ. And our goal and growth is this, right? So uh, 2 Corinthians, where is it? Uh, 3.18. I'm going to turn there. Well, all of these verses are... I would say they go together for our understanding. <clears throat> it says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So notice how the Spirit will take from what is mine and he will make it known to you. So, all of that refers to the Lord's glory, right? The glory, as we've talked about in the context, how Moses came down from the mountain and his face was shining. And he hid his face so the people could not look at the, the dissipation of the glory on Moses' face. He's, he hid it. And not only that, the people were afraid to look eyeball into the glory of God that was shining. They were afraid. And then Moses said, well, it's going to fade. I don't want you to think this is fading. So I'm going to put a veil over my face. I'm going to cover it. But seeing the end of their dispensation, they could not see. Because really, their dispensation only dealt with types and shadow. Christ is the reality. So therefore, when we're now in Christ, we're talking about Ephesians, right? Hey, let's go to Ephesians. What is our objective? In Christ, Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll look at 12 and 13. It says, the pastor, teacher, he gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the pastor teachers. What, what for? To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up. Body of Christ, that's us, right? That's part of the mystery age. That's, we didn't exist prior to that, right? There's, this is the body of Christ. Now, we are the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So there it is, the mind of Christ. And become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of of Christ. This goes back to also when I said in the opening 
I said, the understanding, to have the mind of Christ uh, involves an understanding of his thoughts, his motives, and the intentions of his heart. It's not just, I know knowledge, but understanding what he, what he was about, under, the unfolding of the Father's plan, the all truth that belongs to our age. And not only it belongs to our age, but it embodies the entire purpose of the Father. It's the Father's plan to bring many sons into glory. Those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So those are all things that are relative to us and the Father's eternal purpose as it relates. So these are important factors as we consider the truth. Right? The truth is in Christ. It is where God has unfolded the mystery. Right? It's not the mystery that, oh, Christ came and he was Mary's son and how that all happened. The truth is what happened, as Christ is referring to, with Pentecost, with the sending of the Spirit and what that would do, how it would complete and satisfy the eternal purpose of God. So, so we're still on truth. Point B, let's keep going. We must pay attention to the uniqueness of Jesus' words in this setting. He was telling the disciples truth that hadn't been revealed. That was the context. Other, There was a context other than uh, the unfolding of the Father's plan. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. There was not a context other than the unfolding of the Father's plan. That was it. That was what Jesus was doing. That was why it was hard for the disciples to get with it, to understand it, to trust that Christ was telling them things that are in the Father's plan. Like what Peter says in the last week we talked about. Peter said, this shall never happen to you. Right? When he was telling about his death, burial, and resurrection, Christ was saying, yeah, that's going to happen. I'm telling you truth. Maybe you, it's not in your theology the way you see it, the way it was, you understood it, but here's what I'm telling you. So then point C, all truth. So we had all truth, and that was in the Old Testament. I'm sorry, we had truth that was in the Old Testament. right? That's the revelation that God provided. How did he do it? Prophets, right? through various ways and means, he provided uh, revelation. He, he provided truth. So we can't say we, we have uh, truth um, or there was no truth in the Old Testament. That would be uh, definitely uh, not telling the truth. We had truth. God gave uh, up to that dispensation what he needed them to know. He revealed certain things in the Mosaic Law that were never known. Right? That he, the way his people, he created a people then he presented them with the Mosaic Law, which is the way of life for them. So, in, a, in the same way, he's preparing a place for us, although we are a heavenly people. And then he creates the people through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the five ministries of the Holy Spirit. And then he, he, that is a goal that he has done. So now he has two peoples that he has uh, as a result of truth. So 
we have more truth, in, but the Spirit is coming to bring us, as we said, all truth. Not some, but all. We already have some. Now he's going to augment the sum with all of it. When we say we have all truth, can we know or expect that there's no more mysteries yet to be unfolded? Like God's not going to come in the next dispensation and say, ah, there was another dispensation that was hidden God for me, for you. Nope. Here is the crux of the matter. This is it. We have what is said to be all truth. Uh, the fullness of truth. And you can look at that in every translation you, you want to. and Look at the Greek word pas. All truth. Now I do realize that all does not mean all in every case. But in this case, as it relates to truth, which is a part of the whole, now we have the whole of the whole. The fullness of the whole of the testimony of God, or all truth. And not just the person of Christ, meaning, you know, people didn't know who Christ was, and now we do the mystery of godliness and so forth, but the revelation of the mystery. And John 14, 26 is the scripture uh, I'm using there, which says, which I think we read it, but the advocate, that's the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you, here it is, all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So all these things that Christ is saying to them, at least in this context, especially in this context, have their foundation in, at Pentecost. Right? He's talking about things that they will begin to realize and understand at Pentecost. When is Pentecost? Well, it's not until the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and the ascension of Christ. Forty days, right, that Christ came. But then after, ten days later, Pentecost came. That's when he sent the Spirit. So from the time he was resurrected until... Pentecost is 50 days. 50 days is when he sent the Spirit. So, so this is, uh, so we're talking about the truth, right? And how it is the fullness of the truth, the revelation of the mystery, and how Jesus is linking that to a specific time. So, not only will he, did the Holy Spirit lead them and guide them into all truth, or he, or, or as it says in this verse, he will remind them of all things. He will teach all things. Advocate. He will teach all things. And he will remind you of everything that I said. And this is the context. This is a link to say, hey, he's talking about the church age. Right? There's no doubt about it. Uh, simple question. Did Jesus talk about the church age? Answer. Absolutely so. And this verse proves it. Okay, so uh, let's keep going. So Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. Let's get to the third point and the life. Now, this is not going to be hard for us to figure out what we're talking about. We already see the pattern of why we're saying these words are specific. 
So this is not just life, but new life in Christ. This life did not exist prior to this time. I like to look at 2 Corinthians 5. And here, <clears throat> we're going to look at it because there's one verse in here that you're probably not reading that much anymore. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 5. It says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So that's the sealing ministry of the Spirit, where he, we have the Spirit as a deposit, right? Well, what is the deposit? That is where God will give us the understanding that we are sons. It's not just you have to believe it, but God himself. The whole, Romans 8 talks about it this way. The Spirit will, will bear witness with our spirits that we are sons, right? And then if sons, then, uh, you know, heirs and heirs, heirs of God and so forth. It goes on. But that we're sons. And the Spirit will teach us this, right? Not only, it's not just that God would call many sons into glory, but one of the ministries of the Spirit is to give us the conscious identity of our sonship. As part of those who are in this age, we have the confidence of knowing that God uh, has this plan. This is the unfolding of the Father's plan, and we are definitely a part of it. So that's the life. And then verse 17, there it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Well, it's come now, but it wasn't here before. It's new, never before seen, unprecedented creation has come. What's the old? What we had before. There is, in Christ, there is no Jew, no Gentile. didn't say in Christ you have Jews and you have Gentiles. No, in Christ there is no. There's nowhere you can read in Christ there's Jews and Gentiles. Of the Jews and Gentiles, he is taken of them and made one new man in Christ. Right? So, so notice that's 2 Corinthians 5. 5 and 17 key verses, I would say, that relate to the new life that we have. So point B, the new kainos, and that word kainos is the word for new, and it's not just new with reference to time. In other words, a new baby. But this is new, never before seen, unprecedented. The new life is the subject here. Right, that's we're talking about. Christ is the way, the way to what? The special place that He prepared for us. The truth, meaning uh, all truth, truth that is uh, augmented by the new information that God hid and destined for our glory before time began. And the life here is a reference to the new quality of life that we are. It can only mean that. Right. So the new life is, su- is the subject here, and quote. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. That's Second Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, that's Ephesians 2.15. His purpose, when it says it was his purpose, right, 
then we have to relate that to the Father's plan. This is not happenstance. We didn't just happen to be here. It didn't just work out the way that now we are in Christ. No. God planned this, as I would quote from Ephesians, where just as he chose us in him before the creation of the world, right? he predestined us to be adopted as sons. And that's Ephesians 1. But here, in 1 Corinthians 10.32, I'll just quote it, where it says, Give no offense now to the Jews, the Greeks, which are representative of the Gentiles, or to the church of God. So there's three entities now. Jews, Gentiles, church, body of Christ. Those of us who are in the church. That's new. I didn't create it. It's not a play on words. This is something literally that if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. There's a new life and it was planned for you. All right, so point C. Point C, we're moving on. This new life is our destiny. And as our Lord declared, it depends on him. And, and for that, I want to look at Romans 8, which we have looked at many times, but we're always looking at it in different contexts, right? And how it adds to the truth, the overall truth that belongs to us. 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So I would, would point you to the key word in all of this. There's a lot of key words. But the one I'm pointing out today is those. Right? For those God foreknew, uh, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Right? It's those. And it's us. Right? There's a specific people in verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And he, he also justified. He also glorified. It's those. Who is those? It's not everybody. Specifically, some people. And that's what's key in this verse, verse uh, 30. And then point D, I couldn't end this with the, without this thought, which is obviously probably echoing in your mind. And this is point D, for you died. And your life, since we're talking about Christ is the life, right? your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Uh, it couldn't say this any more clear. When Christ, who is your life, right, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So, so again, he's talking about that specific time. He's talking about our united relationship with the Son, our union with who he is. Our lives are dead. The verse prior to that says we are dead. So it's interesting when we say... Uh, uh, our lives are merged or in union. Like we're here and then Christ is here and then God just joined us together. No, <laughs> that's not it. For you died. You're dead. So the life you have is the life of Christ. 
there's not like, oh, it's my life and his life merged together. It's not that at all. You are dead. Your life is over. What you had, old things, passed away. No longer binding upon you. You don't take the old life and put it with the new life and say, yeah, or something new. No, it's a, a total abrogation of the old life. For you're dead. And the things that go with that old life, well, put to death, therefore, the things that go with your earthly nature, the sexual morality. And he goes into all these things that are, people are passionate about here on earth. We ought to set our minds on things above. Where are things above? That's the Father's plan. That's what the eternal purpose of the Father. That's what we ought to be thinking about. Forget about this stuff. We don't belong down here anymore. For you die. <laughs> we could go on, right? It just keeps going. But notice that verse is another key verse. When Christ, who is your life, appears. Right? Who is our life? What, what do we talk about? Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's talk about this. This new life that happened at Pentecost for us. Didn't exist prior to that. Point E. E, that is. It is true. That Christ is the only way to salvation, to the spiritual life for all ages. That's, it, it, all that's true, right? If we were to say, is, is Christ the life? Now, there are scriptures that do talk about Christ being life. And that one scripture is John 3, 3 through 5. Jesus says to Nicodemus, who was very religious, very ardent in the way he worshiped God. I can imagine he had his robes on and, you know, he just reeked of wealth, you know, earthly wealth. And, and he was not only that, he was a politician. I know they, they had, they lived in the upper echelon of the society. So Nicodemus came to Christ. And this is what Christ told them. You must be born again. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. Christ was talking about a new spiritual life. So, But Nicodemus questioned him further, and Christ said, Well, you're a teacher of Israel, and don't you know, and you don't know these things? Well, I don't understand. What have you been teaching? You've only been teaching the, the ritual. Yeah, you've just been like Nicodemus, uh, no, I'm sorry, like Judas, who had his feet washed, hung around with Christ, understood all that, but he wasn't saved. He did not have spiritual life. He needed to be born again. So, But, but we must follow the context here and allow God to be the teacher. Well, all that's true. See, I can get off and start talking about the life of Christ, and you can say, well, that's the life. No. That's not what he's talking about. But is it true? It is absolutely true. Christ is the only way to salvation. Christ is the truth. He's the life, right? When we're talking about salvation, all that's true. It doesn't say that in these verses, though, does it? Yeah. The answer is no, it does not. We're going to be true to the context. We're going to be honest with what is in front of us. What's he talking about? Then we need to follow the context and allow God to be the teacher. We don't want to just start telling God what he means. Let God tell us what he means. So there's another point later. So let's keep going. We're almost done. I don't 
think, I think, I know our time is long, but we'll keep going. No one comes to the Father except through me. So I am the way, Jesus answered, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the first point is comes to the Father in context. It's to the place where Jesus is going. That's what we've been talking about. No, I, the way. What do you mean the way? The way to get to this prepared place is only through me. And as we pointed out, it's only through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you can be in that number. Like that old song, I want to be in that number when Jesus comes. Or, well, the only way you can be in this number is if you are in the, the Pentecost to the rapture generation. If you're in that, well, then yeah, yeah, you're going to you're going to be um, coming to the Father in this special place. Okay? That's what it means. It's not just heaven. As some people would say, oh, that's just heaven. No, no, cuz listen, this is unique information. And not only is he getting ready to identify more uniqueness. He's getting ready to run straight to the top of our understanding. We have to have, bring everything, as I said last week, bring all your spiritual tools to the table for this job. Point B, no one comes to the Father except through me. Well, this is explicitly true. There are no exceptions, right? A person that's in the Old Testament is not going to get in the church age. There's, I don't care what he does. And, and if a person's in the church age, uh, no matter how hard they focus on Israel and all that, they are not going to be an Israelite. Can't happen. You can't convert to an Israelite. <laughs> not in this age. Because in Christ, there is no Jew. That's, God has established your identity. It's interesting in the Old Testament, you could have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or you could also be converted to Judaism. And it was a specific way they did it. But you cannot do that in the church age. Right? There's only one way. Right? No one comes to the Father in this way except through me. No one can come to this special place in the Father's house. Because that's when he says, I'm going to come back and take you, not just to, to any of those rooms up there, because I got this special place where I'm going and I'm going to take you. Right? And this is what I'm going to talk about here in the next couple points. Our goal here is not just to get to heaven, point C. That's not it. But it is to be in that special place prepared for us. So get that. It's not just to get to heaven. Not just to be saved. But when Christ comes back, that's going to be a grand, glorious time for us. Those who died in Christ and those of us who are still alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. Very special time. So make sure we pay attention as Jesus is paying attention to that time uh, before his departure. Point D, and here it is. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Wow, not only is Jesus looking past the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the preparation of him going to the Father's house of this place, but he's looking at 
coming back and taking us to be with him where he is. And, and as I should quote with Thessalonians passage, and so will we be with the Lord forever. That's the case of us. So will we, all, we will always be with the Lord. We are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We will be one. We, those who are, have, are sleeping in Jesus will, will not precede us or we will not precede them. We will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the last trumpet call, the dead will be changed. We will be changed. So, as we come to the end of this, I ask the question in point E. Can, should these verses be used for salvation? I will give you my answer. You can debate it, talk about it, think about it. Here's my answer. No. <laughs> okay? No, they should not be used for salvation. If anything, we should teach what these verses mean because we are losing the richness, the wealth of what is being said if we only limit them to salvation. Well, first of all, they're not talking about salvation, so it is a matter of honesty, first of all, that we confess that this is what the Word is teaching us. And then second, I say, can, should, should these verses use for salvation? The answer is no. But if we want to talk about salvation, we can use whatever metaphors or analogies or whatever we want, really, if we make sure that the person understands that we are talking in the, in the context of salvation. Look, salvation is likened to many things. Birth, uh, you know, being saved from destruction, uh, you know, a lot of different ways that the, the Bible talks about salvation. And there are metaphors throughout the Bible that demonstrate what salvation is. Justification, we looked at it from the, a legal standpoint. Right? There's all kinds of ways, and, and these analogies teach us about salvation. Redemption, reconciliation, right? all of expiation. We talked about that a, a couple, a long time. And we can make any analogy we want. And we're, we're going to tell the truth about it. But when it comes to these verses, we ought to make clear what these verses mean to people. If this is what we're called to do, right? This, we have to tell them the truth. And this is what I say should be at the top of our mind. Can we teach that Jesus is the only way to salvation? Can we teach that Jesus is the truth? In other words, he's the one who came and died for our sins. That's the reality. And whoever believes in him, that's the truth will not perish, but have eternal life. But we're talking about salvation. And what, what about the life? Well, there's new life that uh, you know exists for every person who have ever put their trust in the Savior to come, or for any person who will put their trust in the Savior who already came. They will have spiritual life. They were dead, and they'll be alive in Christ. They'll be alive as believers. Wherever, whatever God, dispensation happens is where they will be determined as to what their identity is. 
Old Testament, you could be a Jew or a Gentile. You could be saved. And in, in the church, if anybody believes in Christ today, they are not Jew or Gentile. Uh, they are one in Christ. They are church. They're his body. They're all the metaphors that are listed. But they are not Jew or Gentile. Then after the church is over, yeah, then there's going to be Jews again and Gentiles. And they could be saved, perhaps. So, as we've come to, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are my thoughts. Let's have a word of prayer. As we close, we'll continue with this context, and it only gets hotter next week. Let's keep going. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had this afternoon. We, we, we thank you for the words that are given us, and we pray that we have the correct understanding according to the context. And we, we also pray for everyone listening who may come to the knowledge of the truth and may share in some of the thoughts that we have expressed. We thank you for the church that is in the world. We thank you for your plan, which is continually marching forward. And Father, we pray for those grieving as we have earlier as well, asking that you would comfort them with your words, with your understanding of truth. And if you can use us in that manner, we, we would certainly be glad to be in your service. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.